0: From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins.
1: Welcome. Thanks for tuning in for this Tuesday edition of Washington Watch. Always great to have you with us. Well, coming up, President Biden and House Speaker Kevin McCarthy met today for the second time to discuss raising the debt ceiling. Now, this would allow the U.S. to add to the current debt of nearly 32 trillion dollars.
2: Instead of all the four leaders, it's really he's finally taking Leader McConnell's advice. Appoint somebody from the president's team who can work with the speaker's team to see if we could come to an agreement. That is what the decision was made in this meeting. So the structure of, of um, how we negotiate has improved.
1: That was uh, Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy about an hour ago. Well, despite the efforts of Republicans to find a way forward, the Biden administration and Democratic leaders... Apparently, define compromise as Republicans doing
3: what Democrats want. Time is running out. Every single day that Congress does not act, we're experiencing increased economic costs that could slow down the economy.
1: That was Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen saying this is on Congress. Well, Congress, the House, has acted. They passed the Limit Save Grow Act. But the senate scare leader chuck schumer who runs the senate he's the one that schedules all the bills in the senate every vote is scheduled by chuck schumer he will not schedule a vote on the bill that has passed the house that raises the debt ceiling apparently he's too busy scaring americans as he did on the senate floor earlier today democrats will not
4: use the threat of default to get what we want nobody should use default as a hostage Nobody should say unless you do this, then we default, because the consequences of default would be devastating for ordinary Americans.
1: Can can you say dishonest? That's exactly what he is. He's refusing to move forward. Therefore, he's holding the nation hostage. Unless the Republicans agree to what they call a clean debt ceiling vote, meaning allowing the Democrats to continue to spend your grandchildren and grandchildren's future, then we're going to hold the nation hostage. We're going to talk about that with Texas Congressman Chip Roy in just a moment. An explosive subcommittee meeting in the House Judiciary Committee today over how the Biden administration has used the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act to target, target pro-life activists. I cannot believe that I have to be concerned about the FBI and the
5: DOJ and then, frankly, members of Congress sitting up here and say, I have the explanation. We
1: picked Mr. Hout because he's a zealous advocate for life. Law- that was North Carolina Congressman Dan Bishop. Obviously angered, as he should have been, over the testimony that, I heard, that he heard today in that committee hearing. We're going to talk with FRC's Ariel Del Turco, who testified, actually, before the committee earlier today. Well, speaking of the FBI and the Department of Justice, conservatives are outraged over the revelations of the Durham report, as the legacy media basically ignores it.
6: Politics is driving the agenda in our federal agencies.
5: If you don't believe me, just read the Durham report from yesterday. No probable cause, no predicate, no evidence whatsoever, and yet they used a fake dossier from the Clinton campaign to open an investigation into a presidential campaign.
1: Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan, the chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, earlier today. We'll, uh, we'll talk with a member of the Senate Judiciary Committee, Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn, a little later in the program. We'll also talk with Florida Congressman Greg Stubbe, who is a member of the Select Committee on the Weaponization of the government. As thousands of local and state law enforcement officials are in the nation's capital for National Police Week, the Senate voted today to stop the D.C. City Council from advancing their anti-police measure. It's called the Comprehensive Policing and Justice Reform Amendment Act. We're going to get the latest from Oklahoma Senator James Lightford a little later in the program, so stick with us. Our word for today comes from Daniel chapter 6. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. Daniel basically declares, hey, no surprise here. He acknowledged that the results of their their disobedience to the Word of God were exactly what God had warned they would be, calamity. Daniel shows us that genuine repentance does not shift the blame. It owns up to the wrong it has done, and it appeals to both the justice and the mercy of God. As our own nation deals with calamity after calamity, we would do well to follow Daniel's example. To find out more about our journey through the Bible, go to TonyPerkins.com. With the clock ticking for an agreement to raise the debt ceiling, President Biden met with the Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy, today and other congressional leaders at the White House about two hours ago. Now, the House has already passed a measure that would raise the debt ceiling in conjunction with reigning in federal spending. But the White House has vowed to veto it. With the specter of default looming, is the president inching? toward compromise. Joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Chip Roy. He serves on the House Judiciary Committee, the House Budget Committee, and the House Rules Committee. He represents the 21st Congressional District of Texas. Congressman Roy, welcome back to the program.
5: Great to be on, Tony. Hope you're doing well.
1: I'm doing quite well, thanks. Uh, So, Chip, the, the, the House Republicans have acted responsibly. They've passed a bill, the Limit Save Grow Act, the, the normal process would been for the Senate to take up the bill and do something with it. But the Senate scare leader, Chuck Schumer, is just continuing to say that the Republicans are holding the nation co- uh, hostage, but he's done nothing.
5: Yeah, that's kind of the, the the order of business right now by our Democratic colleagues on the other side of the aisle in the House, the Senate, and in the White House. They want to bury their head in the sand. They want to ignore the reality uh, that uh, the environment that they have created is decimating the American family. Inflation, uh, destroying our way of life, targeting our ability to have affordable energy, uh, undermining even our ability to get along as human beings, dividing us by race or critical race theory uh, through all the DEI offices, uh, undermining the recognition of man and woman where you can't even have, you know, look at a swim meet and not see Austin Riley having to compete against somebody who's clearly a dude and you know, understand the reality of that. And that's that's what this administration is all about. And you might think that's a little far afield of your question, right? That we're talking about the funding of government and we're talking about the debt ceiling. But the problem is what we're trying to do is end the wasteful use of dollars, the reckless uh, spending of dollars, the printing of money that drives up inflation, but importantly, funds the very tyranny of government that's undermining our liberty and undermining our way of life. We see it every single day. And we see it in the form of what I just described. We also see it in the funding of the World Health Organization, which is at odds with our way of life and our ability to have uh, the ability to have health care without the federal, without the world, you know, governments interfering with it. Uh, we see it with respect to Mark Halk getting targeted for being a pro-life activist, as we saw in the Face Act hearing today. We see it in all aspects of life, like Scott Smith going to go to a school board and then being turned into a domestic terrorist by this weaponized FBI. So we're going to fight that. We passed a reasonable piece of legislation that lifts the debt ceiling, restricts the overall size and scope of the federal bureaucracy, protects our ability to have a military that will defend against China, stops the expansion of the IRS, stops the use of the student loan money, bailouts that's unfair, picking winners and losers, and importantly, ends the fat cat tax subsidies going to corporations to advance the Green you know New Deal agenda, which undermines our ability to have affordable energy. So we're doing it. It's time for the president to step to the plate.
1: So, uh, Congressman Roy, I think you put your finger on why they're opposed to this. This limits their ability to impose their agenda on the American people because you limit their funding streams to that which is necessary for government to do, and not all this foolishness that they've been engaged in.
5: Yeah, and they're and they're biting back. They recognize that we're we're actually identifying the problem. We've got our finger on the pulse of the problem. The average American is sick and tired of having a government that is weaponized against them at odds with their way of life and is at war with common sense. That's what's happening right now. We need to restore common sense in America, restore the obvious right and wrongs, that there are truths in the world, that there is man and woman, that we should protect life. It goes all the way back to our Declaration of Independence, that we should stand up against a government interfering with free speech and freedom of expression and the religious uh, exercise that we know has protected the Constitution. So, These are all things that the American people want us to do and to stop spending money that we don't have recklessly driving up inflation and undermining the American family. So, you want a culture of life in this country? I want a culture of life that protects people, people from conception all the way until they leave this world and go see their maker, because that's what life is about, is protecting life at all levels, And we can do that if we stop having the government interfere with it and tell us how to live our lives.
1: So, so Chip, let me ask you this. Um, We're 15 days away from what we're told will be the the debt ceiling. The president, this is the second meeting he's had with McCarthy, uh, the speaker saying that, uh, you know, he he sees a little light at the end of the tunnel. They're going to have kind of some the White House is going to appoint somebody to meet with the speaker's team. What do you see? How do you see this unfolding?
5: Well, I think what you're seeing right now is the product of a united Republican front in the House of Representatives and, frankly, the Senate. You know, we passed legislation and we sent it over both for the debt ceiling as well as for border security last week. You have uh, Senate Republicans, 43, signed a letter saying they were going to stand with us and they would not support closure to proceed to something that didn't have serious fiscal reforms. The White House is shaking. They recognize that they've overreached for three months, They've been saying that, you know, they weren't going to sit down at the table. Guess what they're doing? They're sitting down at the table because they recognize that in a system of divided government, in a system of separation of powers, the president is obligated to sit down. And he knows, President Biden knows, that he and he alone will make the choice to default if there is default. There is no need to. We have the cash flow to pay our debts. We have the cash flow to manage Social Security. The president is playing games. So is Yellen. So we're calling their bluff. We're trying to be responsible stewards of taxpayer money, stop borrowing money and raising up the credit card limit. He knows it. So now he's sitting down. So what do I think will happen? I think he's going to sit at the table. he's going to come back with a weak offer. I expect and hope that Kevin McCarthy will hold the line and say, nope, we've already sent our bill across. Ball's in your court. You want to you move forward? Bring us something serious. You want something short term? It's going to cost you And it's going to cost you more every week that goes by. I think we should add the border security to it now and say, yep, time's up. What's next? And next week, if they don't sit down with us, guess what? We're going to add complete defund to the World Health Organization. We should keep moving forward and keep upping the ante. I
1: agree. And I agree with everything you said. And I think you're absolutely right. I've never seen the Republicans more united. Very quickly, I want to switch gears to the hearing today in the House subcommittee uh, on the Constitution, this uh, exchange that you had with the chief legal and strategy officer of the National Abortion Federation. I'm going to play this clip, clip very quickly. Clip 11.
5: Have you ever said something about crushing the skull of the baby, particularly in that kind of a setup?
7: I believe, Congressman, that we all came here today to agree that violence is never an appropriate response to policy uh, differences. That
5: that, uh, that seems pretty violent. The crushing of the skull of a
1: baby. Pretty exposing. That exposed them. Yeah,
5: I mean, look, uh, what I find is that when you present to the world and you present to these people that hide what they're actually doing, they even in their mo- even these individuals who promote this stuff, they recognize how grotesque this is, how out of step with civilian, you know, with a civil society it is, and the the, the Western world, uh, Europe, and everybody else. They, they recognize that a handful of leftist jurisdictions in this country and a handful of you know leftist activists have been perpetrating this fraud and importantly and I'll, I'll close with this it's not just about protecting the life of the infant as you well know it's about protecting the lives of mothers who have been sold this false narrative now for multiple yeah. generations over the last five decades that executing the unborn is somehow better for them
1: chip, and i'm tired of it we gotta we leave need it to there. Do better. chip thanks for joining us great job stick with us folks
0: their God-given purpose. To order your copy of Strong and Courageous, A Call to Biblical Manhood, go to frc.org slash strongandcourageous. Again, that's frc.org slash strongandcourageous.
1: Welcome back to Washington Watch. Thanks so much for joining us today. Be sure and check out the website, TonyPerkins.com. Lots of resources there for you. Well, as uh, I was just discussing with Congressman Chip Roy, and I I hate the fact that we we have to take breaks. I just keep talking with these guys. But we had to take a break. Uh, But we were talking about the House Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution that held a hearing earlier today to investigate the increasing number of attacks on pregnancy resource centers throughout the country as well as the abuse of the Freedom of Access to Clinic Entrances Act or FACE Act. Now this this act was adopted back in the early 90s. Uh Bill Clinton pushed this through back when uh, you some of you might recall Operation Rescue where they were blockading the clinics to bring attention to abortion successfully I might add. Well, the federal government passed the FACE Act, but Warren Hatch, who was a senator at the time, he's now deceased, he included provisions in here that applied the same provisions to churches and and other religious organizations, that if you're blocking or interrupting church services, um, you could be charged under the FACE Act. Well, guess what? They've not done that. In fact, what we've seen in the last... I don't know, a year and a half, we've seen over two dozen uh, pro-lifers charged under the FACE Act. Even though there's been more attacks on churches and care pregnancy centers, we've not seen that used. Well, joining me now to, uh, to talk about this is Ariel Del Turco. She is the director of the Center for Religious Liberty here at the Family Research Council, who has extensively monitored acts of hostility against churches in the United States, and she testified this morning uh, before the subcommittee. Ariel, welcome back to the program.
6: Good to be with you.
1: So we just had uh, Congressman Chip Roy on, played a couple clips. Uh, It looked like it got a little heated. Uh, Give us uh, kind of your read on today's uh, hearing.
6: Yeah. So House Republicans uh, started this hearing really to investigate this question of why is the FACE Act being used to target pro-lifers when we're seeing all of these acts of vandalism, destruction, threats against pro-life pregnancy centers and churches? So it was a look into is this law being uh, enforced equitably?
1: And what did the uh, testimonies uh, present? What what was what do you think the takeaway was?
6: I think the takeaway is that there's a serious problem with the way that the Biden administration is enforcing the F- FACE Act. Uh, we've seen uh, federal agents uh, go after uh, pro-life activists like Mark Hauck, uh arresting him in front of his seven children uh, for a very minor incident that took place in front of an abortion clinic.
1: Which, by the way, uh, lo- he testified this morning that local law enforcement refused to prosecute because right. there was nothing there. But yet you had the Department of Justice, as he testified, uh, multiple agents showed up at his house. Um, He described it as a SWAT team with long guns uh, to to arrest him, even though he had his attorneys had communicated that he would voluntarily surrender himself if, in fact, he was going to be charged with a crime.
6: Right. And that's so telling. It's very telling that local law enforcement did not consider this to be an incident worth looking into further. Uh, Yet you have federal agents showing up, uh, treating him abominably in front of his family. And that just signals how partisan uh, these federal agencies are becoming.
1: Now, one of the members of, uh, of Congress, one of the Democratic members from Georgia, uh, it seemed to get was a little perturbed the fact that you were testifying over the attacks on churches. he seemed to be a bit confused that the face act actually covers churches,
6: yeah, so the face act actually protects uh First Amendment, uh, the right to religious freedom for people uh, entering a house of worship. And it also protects the house of worship itself, the buildings, um, against things like vandalism, threats, arson, all the things that we document in our report that are skyrocketing in the United States against churches um, and other houses of worship as well. Uh, So this is in the FACE Act, and this needs to be a part of equitable enforcement of the FACE Act, but he seemed to not know that.
1: Yeah, I, I would think that you would want to, and it's not a long. It's I mean, it's a one-page law. It's not very long at all. But if you're going to have a hearing on it, I would think that you would uh, you would read it and know what it says before you start to asking questions of uh, of the witnesses that are there. Uh, talk a little bit about your report. I know you've been on the program before talking about that, but I think it's good for people to understand. Uh, this increase that we see, this uh, trend that we see of of attacks on uh, houses of worship. And there is a connection, if I'm not mistaken, in your data that shows that a lot of this really began to accelerate after the Dobbs decision.
6: You're absolutely right. So FRC has been tracking this for months now. And we found that between January 2018 and April 2023, 565 acts of hostility against churches, so that includes vandalism, arson, bomb threats, um, other acts of destruction on church property, but also um, interruption of worship services um, and things like that. Uh, So we've seen that increase over the last six years now. And even the first quarter of this year, between January and March, we saw the acts triple uh, what it was in the same time frame the previous year. So this is all increasing, and it's deeply concerning.
1: So how many individuals that interrupted or attacked or vandalized a house of worship were charged under the FACE Act?
6: To my knowledge, none of the incidents that are covered in our report have been charged under the FACE Act. And as you noted earlier, these acts of hostility have really ramped up since the Dobbs decision and the Dobbs leak last May. From the Supreme Court. So we identified last year 57 acts of hostility against churches that were directly related to the Dobbs Act. So it's pro-abortion protesters uh, breaking into churches, uh, spray painting threats onto the side of church buildings, interrupting mass services, all because they're angry at a decision that the Supreme Court made.
1: And a lot of them are connected to Jane's Revenge.
6: Yes, many of them are. And many of them... uh, say open threats against these churches.
1: So, I mean, that would make it because many of these are happening across state lines. It's clearly becomes a federal issue. But yet we've yet to see the federal government go after Jane's revenge and these others using the tools like the FACE Act that they have. Uh, Ariel, thanks so much for uh, for joining us and uh, great job today testifying before the committee. Thank you. All right. Well, folks, there's uh, still more to come. We're going to be talking about what's happening at the southern border. We're going to be talking about the Durham report that was released yesterday. And we're going to get an update on uh, action taken today by the Senate to stop a measure by the District of Columbia City Council, which basically tries to handcuff the police, even while crime is skyrocketing here in the District of Columbia. Don't go away. Senator Marsha Blackburn joins us next.
7: Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives.
8: Have you seen the Now We Live series? It is a six-week worldview Bible study created in partnership with Family Research Council and Summit Ministries. This video series was put together to help Christians propel faith into action. It offers six free videos to prompt rich discussions about some of life's most foundational questions among churches, small groups, and families. Each video is led by well-known Christian voices and addresses questions regarding worldview, Jesus, truth, identity, and society. It's so important for Christians to both know the truth and to live in a way that is compatible with the truth. Being grounded in what is true and living out God's grace allows a believer's faith to truly transform one's own life and ultimately help transform a broken world. Equip yourself and other Christians to learn more about what it means to truly hold a biblical worldview. Access this important series by going to FRC.org Worldview. Again, go to FRC.org Worldview.
1: I'm Tony Perkins, and this is Washington Watch. Good to have you with us on this Tuesday. Well, we mentioned this yesterday, but a blistering report by Special Counsel John Durham confirmed that the Department of Justice and the FBI, quote, failed to uphold their mission of strict fidelity to the law, end quote, when it launched its investigation into the Trump campaign. Among the most incriminating elements is its noting that top U.S. officials, that included then-President Obama and Vice President Biden, were briefed on the plans by the Clinton campaign to fabricate accusations that the Trump campaign colluded with the Russian government. Now, question is, will there be accountability? Joining me now to discuss this and more is Senator Marsha Blackburn from Tennessee. She serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Judiciary Committee and the Senate Finance Committee. She's a great friend of the family. Senator Marsha Blackburn, welcome back to the program.
3: Pleased to join you. Thank you so much.
1: So you have been on this from the very start, and I want to get your reaction to the Durham report that uh, was made public yesterday.
3: We were so pleased to finally get the Durham report, and it really proved out what many of us had believed from the get-go. Hillary Clinton is the one that created this Russia collusion hoax. It was a figment of her imagination. She wanted to find a way to discredit and disgrace Donald Trump because she was focused on being the first female president. And that desire got in the way of really running an upright and um, truthful campaign. And so she's the one that cozied up to the Russians. She's the one that told Vladimir Putin, we're going to hit the reset button. She's the one with the Clinton Foundation and the Clinton Global Initiative that was cozy with the Russians. It is she and Bill Clinton. Bill Clinton was paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to go deliver speeches in Russia. So this is something that has now been shown that they created this narrative. They paid for this narrative. They pulled together documentation and hired people to push this narrative. And the media went along with them yeah. Every single step of the way.
1: So that raises a question. I mean, we now have the evidence. What again? You yes. you and others have been saying that this was the case, but now we have this special counsel that's released this three hundred right. page report that has validated what you've claimed or what you said. Will anything come of it?
3: I do think something will come of it. We know this DOJ is going to be hard pressed to do anything that affects Joe Biden or Hunter Biden, for that matter, or Hillary Clinton, who it was her campaign that wrote that check, unpaid for this. And I, I think they're not going to want to move forward on this. We in Congress cannot take anybody to trial. Right. That is not one of the abilities that we have. We're going to have to have a new president and a new DOJ to finally hold people to account for this. And
1: I think that's going to have to be a campaign issue uh, so that people can hold whoever is successful in becoming the next president to that. I want to switch gears very quickly. Just got a couple minutes left. You recently reintroduced the Kids Online Safety Act, uh, which would help parents protect their children from what's happening online. Tell us about it.
3: Yes. The Kids Online Safety Act would require social media platforms to design for safety so that your settings are safety by default. It would also require these algorithms to be opened and be transparent and require them to be available to third party research. It would require the social media platforms to go through an audit every year about what is on those platforms and it would give parents a portal where they could report these postings and videos that encourage self-harm, like suicide or eating disorders. It would give them the ability to contact social media and report cyber bullying and require them to deal with this, to block such content. And being able to give parents and kids the toolbox they need in order to be sure that the online experience is going to be positive.
1: So when you talk about we the al- you talk about the algorithms, th- there there is concern that many of these social media platforms are targeting and exploiting children yes. with these algorithms. This says, look, no longer can this be uh, hidden. You got to let us. Right. You got to let people see so we know whether or not you are targeting these vulnerable children.
3: Yes, because our children are the product when they are online. Their data is being collected, they are being marketed to, and Tony, children are being exposed to things in the virtual space. Whether it is cyberbullying or pornography or alcohol and tobacco being marketed to them, they're getting all this exposure online. We would never, there are laws against exposing children to this in the physical space. Mm -hmm. But that does not apply in the online space. So this is going to put that burden on social media. And parents have said, look, we want a toolbox that we can deal with this, that we can protect our children. But social media platforms will not give us that toolbox. So
1: very quickly, how can parents help you with this bill?
3: They can, first of all, follow me on social media at Marsha Blackburn. Secondly, every parent listening, after they have followed me, they need to contact their member of the House and the Senate and say, we want you to support the Kids Online Safety Act. We already have 33 bipartisan senators supporting this legislation.
1: All right, we'll do just that. Marsha Blackburn, great to see you. Thanks for joining us.
3: Good to see you. Thank you.
1: Stick with us, folks. We're back after this.
8: Are you prepared to pray, vote, and stand for biblical truth? It is imperative that Christians pray for their community and culture to steward their role as a citizen by voting and to stand for biblical truth. This means that Christians must be intentional about seeking after the Lord in all things. You can join Family Research Council and FRC Action President Tony Perkins in this mission as he hosts the Pray, Vote, Stand broadcast to inspire brothers and sisters in Christ to turn their attention to the Lord first and in every compartment of their lives. Tony is joined by experts, elected leaders, and Christian leaders for this weekly half-hour program to help you see through the fog created by the biased mainstream media. Watch the Pray, Vote, Stand weekly broadcasts and commit to pray for our nation, to stand for truth, and to seek the Lord first. Just go to prayvotestand.org. Again, that's PrayVoteStand.org.
1: All right, welcome back. Good to have you with us. All right, coming up for men, listen up, listen up, men in the Houston, Texas area, coming up June the 3rd, we have our Stand Courageous Men's Conference at Houston First Baptist Church on Saturday, June the 3rd. I'll be there, General Jerry Boykin, former Fire Chief of Atlanta, Kelvin Cochran, Stu Weber, Bishop Larry Jackson, Rafael Cruz, and many more. Uh, that'll be all day on Saturday, June the 3rd. To find out more, go to TonyPerkins.com, or you can simply text "Stand Courageous" one word, "Stand Courageous" 67742, and you can get an update. That's "Stand Courageous" to 67742. If you're in the area, I invite you to come and uh, and join us for what I think is going to be a very impactful day. All right, there's so many self-inflicted crises crises that are taking place here in our nation's capital as a result of the policies of the Biden administration. Well, I I, kind of wonder if that's part of a strategy, maybe to cause us to forget or take our eyes off of other things. For for instance, what's happening at the southern border? I mean, that's a crisis. Uh, In fact, this is what uh, Congressman Steve Scalise, the House uh, Majority Leader, had to say today.
2: They think if they just ignore this problem, mislead the public about this problem, that it'll go away. It's not going away. It's only getting worse.
1: In fact, even Democratic cities that are feeling the pinch as a result of uh, governors like uh, the governor of Texas, Florida, that have been uh, transporting uh, those who have come into the state into these uh, blue cities, they're now squealing and complaining. Well, join me now to uh, to discuss this and more is Oklahoma Senator James Langford. He serves on four Senate committees, including the Senate Committee on Homeland Security. Senator Langford, welcome back to the program. Good to see you again, Tony. So, James, uh, Title 42 ended just last Thursday night. Um, has what we've been seeing match your expectations?
4: It has been. Let me tell you why on it. The days leading up to the end of Title 42, we were seeing more than 10,000 people a day illegally crossing our border. And just to give you a context, during the Obama administration, Jay Johnson said it's when 1,000 people a day illegally cross our border, it's a really bad day. So we've seen a giant number. That that number has increased dramatically over the last several weeks to now over 10,000. Now, since Title 42 has ended, the Biden administration is trying to put some new things in place to be able to sub it, but we're still seeing 4,000 to 5,000 people a day illegally crossing but the border. But they're celebrating that's that. the same as the time leading up to Title 42.
1: But they're celebrating that. Oh, yeah, the numbers have dropped. I mean, we're, that's kind of like what they did on gas. You know, we we're paying $2 a gallon when uh, or less when Donald Trump was president. Then it went up to like $3.50, almost $4. And when it dropped back down to three fifty, they were celebrating. See, we've brought down the price of gas.
4: Exactly what they've done. It goes up to 10 or 11,000. Then when it goes back down to four or 5,000, they're like, look, it went in half. It hasn't gone in half from what it has been historically. We're still at historic norm, historic highs. And the painful part is we're at historic highs of the people crossing the border illegally, but we're at historic lows of people actually being deported. In fact, just again, put it in context, if you take the three years of the Biden administration, they've deported fewer people in three years than President Obama did, even in one year. So they're they're literally not deporting people, but they have a record number of people illegally crossing the border.
1: You know, uh, uh, when we talk about it on here, it's it's not just the those that are coming here to find economic opportunity. I don't I don't fault them for wanting to be come right. to America. I, I want to encourage them to come in the legal way. But that's not the big concern. The big concern is that this is emboldening the cartels and it's increasing the drug problem in the United States.
4: Yeah, dramatically. Tony, day after day, I talk to the Border Patrol. They'll tell me when they get a flood of people coming across the border illegally, they can't go get to the people that are coming in the camouflage and backpacks that are actually carrying the drugs because they're managing the migrants that are coming across that may or may not want to work or just visit with family, whatever it may be. Yesterday, just yesterday, 1,500 people crossed our border illegally that the Border Patrol saw them, but they couldn't get to them. They have no idea who they are, what they were carrying, what they were doing. That's day after day after day. We'll have 1,500 to 2,000 that are crossing they literally can't get to because they're handling so many migrants uh, that are coming across the border. And I'm with you. People that come legally, I don't have a problem with. I have a big problem with people that are being facilitated by the cartels and that are being used by the cartels and that we have no idea what their background is. Literally, these folks that are crossing the border, we do a a terror watch list check on them, but we don't know anything about their criminal history, the countries they're coming from. We have no idea on those individuals. We don't know if they're fleeing poverty or fleeing justice, but they're just being released into the country day after day.
1: I want to switch gears. Uh, This is National Police Week. In fact, uh, I had dinner last night with uh, my sheriff from Louisiana that was uh, up here in in Washington. Uh, You recently introduced the uh, back the Blue Act, which would increase penalties for criminals who target law enforcement officers. Uh, Also the Senate today voting uh, to oppose a measure from the District of Columbia, which is in line with what most of these liberal cities are doing, handcuffing law enforcement um talk about that talk about your measure and, and and the stand that we need to take to protect law enforcement so that they can protect us
4: yeah let me let me just say again what i say so often thank you to all the law enforcement that are out there that literally every day put on a uniform and a badge and they give their family a hug and their family says be safe out there and they mean it and they go out and literally put their life on the line to be able to protect their fellow citizens every single day so we just can't say thank you enough I have family members that are in law enforcement. I've seen the real consequence of their life and of their decisions and how hard their job is to be able to go serve and protect every single day. So for weeks like this with Police Week, it's a reminder again how grateful we are, but as they go through those names, those are literally law enforcement folks that laid down their life for their fellow Americans. So for these liberal cities that they're constantly trying to find ways to defund the police or limit the police or isolate the police, or literally treat the police with contempt while they try to release criminals and say they need to be understood. I think we need to understand what's happening in law enforcement and to be able to hold people to account that actually break the law. That's a better system that's out there. So we're grateful for this. The Back to Blue Act that I have, that's very straightforward. It is you, if you are targeting police officers, you need to be held to account in a higher level uh, of consequence on, for that This is similar to what we're doing, the hate crimes legislation that's out there to say if you're committing a hate crime, you're held to a higher account for your punishment for it. But that's not true if you target law enforcement. If you're targeting law enforcement, they need to be held to a higher account. Literally, the people that are enforcing the law are not treated with the same respect that others are. So I want to be able to treat them with that level of respect as well.
1: Yeah. And I think we've got to call it out because when you look at cities like the District of Columbia, Again, that's trying to, uh, you know, tie the hands of law enforcement behind their back. We're seeing skyrocketing rates of crime here in the city. This is you know, 20 years ago when I first came to Washington. It was actually a pretty decent city, uh, but it's becoming dangerous. I mean, we're seeing you know members of Congress, their staff being attacked uh, here in the city. It's uh, it's becoming a rough city.
4: Yeah, it's a painful place. We want America and the rest of the world to be able to come enjoy the museums be able to be a participant in their own republic, to be able to visit with people face to face, we want to continue to encourage that. But if people are afraid to be able to travel to the city, we need to hold them to account and we need to remind the mayor here and the leadership here of the city council that this is still the federal district of Columbia. As we've overruled some of their changes that they've already done uh, by actions, we actually took another vote today to be able to say you can't just dismiss police and put restrictions on police and to be able to release our criminals. And that's really what they're trying to do. So we need to be able to hold them to account because this is America's capital. Yeah,
1: Senator James Langford, always great to see you. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Appreciate uh, you fighting for faith, family and freedom on Capitol Hill. Glad to do it, Sonny. Good to see you again. All right, Senator James Langford of Oklahoma, you know what I think would help in D.C. is what uh, so many other states allow you to carry guns, concealed carry permits. Of course, it's very difficult to get a permit to carry a gun here in D.C. unless you're a criminal, then it's quite easy. All right, I spoke earlier in the program with Senator Marsha Blackburn regarding the Durham report and how... It revealed yet another example of the weaponization of the federal government. Well, joining me now to continue this discussion, Congressman Greg Stubbe. He serves on the House Ways and Means Committee and the House Select Subcommittee on the Weaponization of the Federal Government. He represents the 17th Congressional District of Florida. Congressman Stubbe, welcome back to the program.
2: Hey, good to see you, Tony. Thanks for having me.
1: So I want to get your take on this. You serve on the Weaponization Committee. Does the Durham Report provide a classic example of what government weaponization looks like?
2: Yeah, I think so. And what's frustrating for members like myself that was hoping that the Durham report would produce some consequences for these individuals who engaged in the very activity that we've been saying for years that they've been engaging on, lying to courts, using and weaponizing the federal governments to spy on citizens of our country, uh, weaponizing this, and then the mainstream media perpetuates a fraud upon the American people. And uh, Durham doesn't come out with any type of... Uh, references or recommendations for crimes for Comey, uh, Strzok, and these other, McCabe and these other individuals that were at the top tier for making these decisions and pushing these false narratives on the American people. Uh, But what we're going to do, we've asked Durham to come in next week. He has not gotten back to us yet. Hopefully we can confirm that next week. And that's the very questions that I would like, like to ask. Uh, why isn't the conduct that they did criminal? And if it's not criminal, what laws can we pass to ensure that this can never happen again?
1: Well, yes, and we were talking about this with Senator Blackburn. And, and obviously, you, you do not have the ability in Congress to, to arrest people or to file charges against someone, but you do control the purse strings. I mean, I think this is something that should be discussed when you go into the appropriations process. If, uh, you know, the, the, the FBI and they're looking for, you know, new buildings and they're, they're looking for this uh, different uh, uh, funding streams, uh, there could be a price to pay for trampling upon the rights of the American people.
2: Well, and there's programs like FISA that get reauthorized in the next year. Um, I, I know most of, at least in the last Judiciary Committee that I sat on, Uh, No Republican member supported reauthorizing that. That can be defunded. There's programs that specifically do this type of activity that can be defunded. So we don't have to to defund the criminal aspect of things that the FBI does, but we can certainly defund activities that are perpetuated by this politicization and weaponization of the federal government and the DOJ. And that would send a very strong message that the American people are sick and tired of the, the deep state and the swamp. Uh, exercising its muscle and using its its power and ability in the intelligence bureaus and the law enforcement bureaus to affect election outcomes.
1: Yeah, that, a really good point. Um, you know, you want to go after the FISA courts, which I think were totally abused by the, the previous, uh, well, by the Biden, by the uh, Obama administration during that time, and even, I mean, even Trump couldn't get a handle on on what was going on. There And so you don't want to you, you got to be careful in how you message it because I know the Democrats will say, well, the Republicans want to defund the police when, in of fact, course. you want to defund the weaponization of government toward the American people.
2: Yeah. And you want to prevent this type of behavior from ever happening again, regardless of the political side, just because Trump and I'm a Republican, um, you know, the Republicans were inhibited by this. Uh, this shouldn't happen on either side. I can guarantee the Democrats would be crying foul if a Republican administration and a Republican deep state was doing this to, say, Hillary Clinton or to Joe Biden. Uh, and uh, it's, it's really the type of things that we should be working for for the American people up here. And they have lost the American people have lost a lot of faith uh, in the DOJ and the FBI over the last several years.
1: Now, juxtapose that, the fact there were about 40,000 law enforcement officers here in Washington, D.C., for events and ceremonies for National Police Week. And I know supporting law enforcement is a cause you've always championed. Um, you know, local law enforcement is striving to keep people you know, safe, uphold the law in most cases. Uh, but we're seeing this environment fostered by... Uh, you know, liberal prosecutors by the left trying to handcuff police and their ability to do their jobs.
2: Yeah. And all you have to do is look at these liberally uh, run Democratic cities to see the numbers of homicides and drug use and all of these things uh, and to see the outcome that that's had on the community. Just I think just last night here in D.C., there was like three homicides when we were driving to baseball practice this morning. We passed a homicide scene that was all taped off. This was blocks from the United States Capitol. And this is all because of the policies that the Democrats have put in place where they're releasing people, uh, releasing prisoners. There's you know, no cash bail, all these things that they're doing, uh, lowering the amount of uh, penalties for certain crimes. It's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, Americans stand for law and order, and you're not seeing it in these big cities because they're run by left progressives, uh, prosecutors, and uh, leaders. Yeah, and we
1: saw uh, just last night in Atlanta a big big public display against a law enforcement training center there. And that's uh, the site of where there was this scene of domestic terrorism about a month ago where an attorney for the Southern Poverty Law Center was charged with domestic terrorism. So you have these leftist groups that are actually involved with the Biden administration's Department of Justice that are anti-law enforcement like the Southern Poverty Law Center.
2: Well, and in some of these democratically run cities, they actually did defund the police, took money away from certain uh, bureaus, defunded entire like SWAT teams and that sort of thing. And that's an absolute fact. You had the vice president raising money to bail all the protesters out a few years ago over the summer. And that's the type of activity that when you have the leaders in our country encouraging crime, helping to bail people out that are committing crime, lowering the penalties for crime, that's the type of uh, repercussions you're going to have yeah. from, from that type of leadership. Lawlessness.
1: In fact, the, yep. the Bible warns us that that is coming. Greg Stubbe, always great to see you. Thanks so much for joining us today. time. All right. Uh, Congressman Greg Stubbe of Florida. Yeah, you know, the, the, the New Testament, very clear about this. Paul writes about it, that the, the spirit of lawlessness is already here. It's only going to increase as we move toward the end of time. And we know who's behind that. And, and that's why the church needs to be very present and vocal, restraining that lawlessness. All right, we're out of time. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul found in Ephesians 6, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed, when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand, by all means, keep standing.